Welcome to the Mastery Over Money podcast. My name is Michael Kim, and I'm a wealth coach, future CPA, and creative at heart. My mission is to help young professionals such as yourself have mastery over your money and start living a life of financial freedom. Not only will I teach you how to save, invest, make, and maximize your money, but I'll also transform the way that you think about it. At the end of the day, money management is a skill. And when you have mastery over it, you can create anything. Are you ready? Awesome. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Mastery Over Money podcast. Today is a very special episode because I have one of my friends and mentors, Nelson So, on the podcast today. So Nelson is a TEDx speaker a two times best-selling author, CPA, and financial literacy expert. In 2021, he became a professionally published author, releasing his second book, Life Literacy, and also delivered his first TEDx talk called Financial Literacy and the Social Media Generation. Thank you so much for being here, Nelson, and welcome. Awesome. Thanks, Michael. What an intro. Appreciate that. (laughs) Of course. So Nelson, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, So as you alluded to it, I'm a TEDx speaker, a two-time best-selling author and a CPA. Um, I've been a CPA for about 10 years now and uh, decided to pursue a journey uh, to teach people about financial literacy and personal finance after going through kind of my own woes and uh, trials and tribulations with, with money. So Um, taking my CPA skills and using that to help other people improve their lives. I'm curious, like what sort of, I guess, like, why did you decide to become a CPA in the first place? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So my parents, they wanted me to be a doctor. I know, Mm -hmm. surprising, right? Coming from Asian heritage. (laughs) That's um, not common. (laughs) Yeah, right. So, so shocking. So they said, uh, go be a doctor. And I said, "Uh, well, you know, I'm not very good at sciences and, you know, chemistry and biology doesn't really, you know, excite me. So I made them a deal. I said, okay, how about this? I'm going to go to business school. And they said, uh, they weren't happy. First of all, they said, okay, fine. We'll make you a compromise, but you have to promise that you will finish. You'll see it through. Like you'll get your degree and whatever. Right. So I said, okay, cool. And to me, business seemed a little bit more exciting, like, you know, learning about money, how companies operate, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I decided to go into accounting because I met a couple uh, CPAs a few years ahead of me, um, my mentors, And they kind of told me about the lifestyle that CPAs have, the type of work that they do. And it seemed pretty interesting. So um, I decided to pursue that and uh, saw it through as I promised my parents and got my accounting degree and then um, got hired at KPMG, which is one of the big four accounting firms and articled to get my CPA designation. Amazing. That is, you know, a a very common thing with with Asian parents, but like having to become a doctor, but I think what a lot of us are starting to learn is that to be successful, you don't have to be like the doctor, lawyer, or like dentist. You can, there are so many different areas in life that you can be successful and you can be successful at like art or like, you know, drawing stuff on Etsy and like selling it, right? Like you can literally be successful in anything. I always tell people there's a million ways to make a million bucks. So mm-hmm. however you want to do it, I mean, it's, it's up to you and it's there for the taking if you want it. Yeah. So you got your CPA after, shortly after graduating. Now tell me about how you got involved in teaching people about financial literacy and 
helping people with their finances? Like, were you always good at managing money because you were a CPA or what, what was your journey? Yeah. So uh, just because I became a CPA did not make me a financial literacy expert or a money expert. And I think that's a common misconception because a lot of my friends that aren't accountants, um, when they found out or when I told them I was doing accounting or that I became a CPA, they were like, oh, well, you must be really good with money, which makes sense, right? Because you're an accountant, you study about balance sheets, profit and loss, financial reports, all that kind of stuff. But it's not the same as managing your own personal finance. So I came to this realization. So I was about five years into my career, was getting promoted at my work, um, finding new jobs, making more money, um, started making a really good income. And then when I looked at my bank account one day, I was like, well, this is great. Like I make good money, but I'm actually not really saving for my future. And the more money that I earned, the more money that I spent. And I like to call that lifestyle creep. Like when you earn more, you spend more. And then I started to think like, I've got to do something to change the way I manage my money because if I keep going this way, I'm never going to be able to achieve my financial goals. Um, so I invested about, um, I don't know how much money into books and reading. And I think it was more so the time than the money that I invested into it. Um, but just learning about personal finance, learning how to manage my money so I could achieve my goals and then started doing it. And by showing other people that it is possible, more people have reached out to me asking me like, how can I do that too? So that's where I came up with um, the idea to um, help people change their lives financially. Amazing. I love how you shared that story about like how everyone thinks that a CPA knows exactly how to manage their personal finances and knows what they're doing with their money. But in reality, most of them may not. And this is really common. And I think with, I think like everyone who goes to business school, I think you know, the average person who didn't go to business school, they're like, oh, you know what you're doing with your money because you went to business school or you studied like finance. But there's like a difference between like corporate finance and personal finance. 100%. Yeah. And a lot of people who, and I think like a lot of people who didn't go to business school, they like feel like they're behind or they're, you know, people are ahead of them because they went to business school. But in reality, you, everyone's on the same playing field. Like most people were never taught about how to manage their personal finances. Yeah. So it's, it's funny when people say like, oh, you're an accountant, you must, you must be good with money, you're a CPA. Um, but after my TED talk came out um, back in December, the financial literacy and, and the social media generation, I've actually had quite a few CPAs reach out to me privately and tell me that they experienced the same thing as me, where, you know, most people thought that they were good with their money, but when they looked in the mirror, they were like, holy crap, I'm not good with my money and I need to figure this out. And then they went and sought their own resources, help, mentorship, coaching, whatever it is to figure out their money situation. So um, the truth is, is that whether you went to business school or not, um, you are responsible for taking care of your own personal finances. Yeah. So you're telling us that one of the things that you struggled with was lifestyle creep. Like you were spending, you were making more money, but then you're also spending more money. Can you share a little bit about like, how that, how you fell into that trap and then what you did to get out of it. Cause that's a very common problem that a lot of people face. Absolutely. Um, to keep it simple, I attribute it down to like ego and entitlement. Um, and so how these two things are related is like when, you know, you feel like you want to fit in, you want to feel cool. You want to feel rich. That's your ego. Right. And when you have entitlement tied to that, where you say like, well, you know what, I've been working so hard. Like I deserve these things. 
um, then that's when the spending habits start to creep up on you, right? Because now you feel, okay, I want to be cool. I want to fit in my ego and the entitlement piece of, I deserve this. You know, the people say like retail therapy, you know, you, you need a weekend of shopping, right? Just to make yourself feel better. So when you put ego and entitlement together, then your spendings will ultimately um, skyrocket. And if your income can't support that, then what do you do? You go find a job that pays more. So then when you get the job that pays more or you get the promotion, then you say, oh, well, I worked hard for this. So I need to spend even more. I need to buy the new shoes, the new phone, the new watch, car, whatever, bag. Um, and that's how your lifestyle creeps up with your earnings. And it's a really dangerous thing because ultimately, if you keep doing that, at some point, your spending will surpass your income or you're going to just keep chasing a carrot and you're gonna, it's a, a vicious cycle that will never, ever end. Yeah. And that's why it's called like a rat race, right? Because <laughs> it, totally. it yeah. never ends. Yeah. So what did you do in order to get out of that? Ooh, that's a good question. It was hard. Um, it was really, really tough because when I realized that I was in this lifestyle creep vicious cycle, um, I had to give up things that I really, really enjoyed in my life that I thought I deserved. And, um, you know, I think that everybody deserves nice things. Like we all work hard. We deserve to enjoy our lives. Um, but there's a certain limit, right? So for me, it was, um, owning. So I went and bought a luxury car that I couldn't really afford. And when I got to the dealership, the salesman was like, okay, well, if this is your budget, we can stretch the payments from, you know, five years to seven years. So then now your monthly payments are lower. So then it fits your budget. So effectively he was able to convince me that this car that was not within my budget actually fit my budget. And because I wasn't good with my personal finance and understanding money and how it works back then I signed the lease or the financing agreement, whatever. And you know, I was happy. I loved the car, but then I eventually I realized that if I keep like putting these monthly payments away into a car, that's a depreciating asset. I'm never going to be able to save for my future. So one of the hardest decisions I had to make was to sell my luxury car that I really, really loved. Um, but ultimately it was for the best for my financial future. So it's like making sacrifices. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that example really goes to show the difference between being able to afford something and being able to or being able to buy something versus being able to actually afford it right because yeah, totally. we can buy a lot of things like right now I could buy you know a bunch of like handbags or like luxury wallets if I wanted to but the thing is is that I may not be able to afford it and what affording means is that if you're able to buy it and not have it influence your financial goals and influence the plan that you have for yourself. And yeah. in the example that you showed, it's like, yeah, you can buy a luxury car. You can have the fanciest car that you want. You can buy it, but then can you actually afford it? Like, are you actually able to buy it and achieve the financial goals that you have for yourself? And I think that's really important. That last piece, right. Achieving your financial goals, because a lot of people look at it like, you know, say you make $2,000 a month, like random example, the car payment is a thousand and your rent is you know, 800 bucks, you're like, okay, well, I can afford that because it, it's less than what I earn. But then you don't really have much buffer left to you know, buy groceries and other things that you actually need in your life. And then you're stretched really, really thin. So mm -hmm. um, Jay-Z, the rapper said it best. He said, if you can't afford it twice in cash, you can't afford it. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Wisdom from Jay-Z. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're telling me that when you're talking to the car dealer that he convinced you that you were able to afford it. And because you didn't know much about your personal finances, that 
you made the decision to buy it. So tell me about what it actually means to be financially literate. What does that mean to you? Yeah, to me, financial literacy is like um, understanding money and how it works. So going back to that car example, right? Like I told the the salesperson, I said, hey, listen, like, um, I guess one of the sales tactics they use is they ask you, what's your monthly budget to spend on a car? And I was like, okay, well, you know, $800. And he said, okay, perfect. So he took this car that I, that I was interested in and he said, okay, well, if we map out the payments for you over um, like 60 months, which, which is like um, over five years, then the payments will be X dollars. Maybe it was like 1100, which was then outside my budget. But he said, if we take the same uh, payment plan and we stretch it from 60 to 84 months. So like five years to seven years, because the time period is longer, the payments now decrease. And when he did that, he showed me the spreadsheet. It was like, okay, well now the payments actually do fit my budget. And that's me not understanding money because what the outcome of that is, is over the extra two years, I'm paying a lot more interest. So when you finance a car or when you lease a car from a dealership, they're effectively charging you interest on the money that you've borrowed from them. So, um, going from 60 to 84 months, effectively like almost doubled the amount of interest that I had to pay. But on paper, the payments fit my monthly budget. So I thought that it was all good. Um, so I, that's why I signed the deal, took the car, and then realized a year later that this is, was probably one of the most silly financial decisions I've ever made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And ultimately, as you said, financial literacy is just understanding how money works. And there's different like components of money management. There's like how to save money, how to invest money, how to make money. And for your specific example for the card, that's just how debt works. Like Correct. understanding how interest payments work, how is that calculated? How does that actually impact the decisions that you make? That is all part of, and as the podcast name, having mastery over your money. If you have mastery over your money and being financially literate, you know and understand how money and debt works, and you can make the best decision for yourself if you know how to do that. 100%, yes. So tell me about why is financial literacy important? I think we, we kind of covered that, but why, why is financial literacy important? At the last conference that I spoke at, I asked the audience, I said, how many people here want to retire debt-free and be financially free one day? And 100% of the people raise their hand. I mean, who doesn't want that, right? Like we all want to be retired one day with no debt and have the freedom to do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want. Now, the problem is, is that not everybody understands financial literacy. And that one thing alone is the key to retiring debt-free and having um, financial freedom or wealth in your life. So for that one reason only, I think financial literacy is one of the most important things, if not the most important thing you can learn in your lifetime. Amazing. And financial literacy is pretty much just having control of your money. And what I like to say is that when you have control of your money, then you get to create the life that you want, right? If you want to buy a house and you know how to control your money, then you know exactly what you need to do in order to achieve that. And if you are someone who desires and wants to be debt-free and retire early, then by being financially literate, and having control of your money, that's definitely something that you can do for yourself if you want. <laughs> totally. And, and Michael, like you're a coach yourself. You help people with their financial literacy. Like how many times have you heard people say like, you know, oh, my money situation is such a mess or like, I really need to get a hold of my money situation or I don't understand finances. Like my partner deals with it. 
right? Like there's a lot of things that people do to like create excuses about why they don't need to learn financial literacy. And I think that if you don't learn it, you're never going to achieve the, the house that you want, the car that you want, the bag, the watch, whatever material thing, maybe the vacation, the honeymoon that you want, because you won't have the financial ability to do so. So um, financial literacy is su super, super important. That's why we're all here today on this podcast. And um, yeah, I hope that everybody that's listening is able to improve their money situation somehow. Yeah. And, and what you said really like packs a punch to me because you know, growing up, my mom would always rely on my dad for, to, to make all of the financial decisions of the house. The, the man would make all of the financial decisions. And then when things started to go bad, then she blamed him for like all, all of the, you know, stuff that happened. But at the end of the day, if you are in a marriage or if you're in a relationship, you have to take responsibility for your own life and your own financial decisions. You, if you let someone make all of your financial decisions for you, then you're, you're letting go of all of that accountability. And, and that's the reason why having financial literacy is so important so that you can make the best decision for yourself and for your family so that you are able to look after for yourself as well. Yeah. And I think we need to expand on that a little bit. You know, you mentioned um, in your household, it was probably very similar in many people's households where there was one sole decision, financial, uh, sorry, one financial decision maker um, and everybody else kind of tagged along. And then if something happened in favor, everybody was cheering. And if something happened not in favor, then everybody was mad at that one person. So I think it's really, really important that, you know, we put it out there that talking about money is actually okay. And it's actually a good thing. You know, whether it's with your friends, whether it's with your partner, your family, your parents, your siblings, um, I always try to get people to talk about money because it is a taboo topic, but it's only taboo if we make it taboo. Um, and some of the strongest relationships and friendships that I have with my peers and like um, just social relationships, whatever intimate relationships, um, we talk about money and it really clears things up. So there's no expectations. There's no um, hidden agendas. Like people understand exactly what's happening and there's transparency and trust. I love that. And I think talking about financial, by talking about money, that helps to improve your financial literacy by talking about money with your friends, with your children, with your parents, that helps everyone. It, it doesn't, you know, negatively affect anyone. And I think some of the people that are the best with their money are, you know, people who, where their parents like grew up constantly talking about money and joining their kids in the conversation of money and they just naturally pick up and are financially literate by the time they, they they're older so i i've been loving seeing people on instagram uh like the the older financial uh literacy influencers who are constantly talking about money with their kids and i'm like oh good for them those kids are gonna you know be financial literate and have control of their lives you know, but the cool thing is, though, is like when you see like parents teaching kids or people like you, like coaches that are teaching the next generation or the current generation, you know, how to be better. Um, when you teach somebody something, you get to learn it twice. Mm -hmm. So that's like such a great benefit. You know, like if I learn something about investing and then you and I talk about it and then I teach you my perspective, I get to learn it twice. So that's like such a great benefit to me. And that's why paying it forward by teaching somebody something that you learned is one of the greatest gifts that you can give not only other people, but yourself. Yeah, I love that. One of my one of my favorite things that I love to do is just like 
making co- complicated concepts simple and easy to understand. And that's the reason why I created this podcast because I can share those lessons with people and um, yeah, and help people think that money is just a little bit more interesting. <laughs> yes, and it's not that scary as most people think it is. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so what do you think is a major obstacle preventing from young professionals from being financially literate? (laughs) Uh, Okay, so one of the obstacles preventing young professionals from having financial literacy. Mm -hmm. Sorry, was that the question? Okay. Yeah, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) Okay, no no worries. Um, I think there, I'll be honest with you, I think there's many obstacles, but but I think one of them is definitely that it's not um, formally taught in school. That's definitely one of, I don't know if that's an obstacle or maybe that's like a void um, or a gap, um, an educational gap. But I think that, you know, young professionals, we're all so busy trying to get the job, you know, get the promotion. We're trying to work hard in our day-to-day lives that a lot of times we overlook the importance of financial literacy. So, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and say you have a nine to five job, that's awesome. But are you taking the time outside of your nine to five to think about your money situation, think about your financial goals, and then create an action plan and a strategy for like achieving them. So it could be as simple as like, you know, if I have a goal to save X dollars to buy a home one day, then I need to put aside, you know, 10% of my paycheck every month into like a savings account. And a lot of times young professionals are so busy with the day-to-day lives and the day-to-day hustle that money just goes into their account and then they go and spend it. And it's just the cycle that continues on. And when it comes time to making big, um, important lifetime events, or sorry, lifetime uh, purchases, like a new home, car, whatever, they don't have the money to do it because they just don't know where all their money went because it just, there was no planning. It just came into the account and then it went out of their account. So I think um, awareness is probably one of the biggest things. And I love that you shared those examples because oftentimes when people talk about financial literacy, it seems like a very vague thing. Like what does financial literacy even mean (laughs) right but then you showed like very like concrete examples it's just knowing how to use money to get what you want if you want to buy a house then you know exactly what you need to do in order to buy that house that could mean saving a thousand dollars every single month for the next like you know three years then you will have enough to buy that house and that is what it means to be financially literate just knowing how to use your money to get what you want Totally. And I think one of the pitfalls for me when I was a, like a young professional early, like really early on in my career was um, because I didn't have financial goals. Every time I earned money, it just kind of went, like I said, in my account and then out of my account. Um, But then when I started having financial goals and I started planning for like where my money was going every month, life became a little bit more um, like finances became more tight in the fact that I was like, because I was more aware right? Like I knew that, okay, if I want to buy a home, I have to put aside a thousand bucks a month. If I want to buy a new phone, I have to put aside a hundred bucks a month and money wasn't flowing as freely out of my account as it was in the past. So, you know, before I would just go out and eat and buy things, clothes, whatever that I wanted, because it looked like I had money in my account. But once I started to have more structure in my savings, in my financial goals, then things became a bit tighter. I started thinking twice about, can I afford to actually go out to eat? do I really need to buy this shirt or can I wait until later? Um, And it was just more of like the planning and preparation for achieving my goals. Yeah. I would say things are a little bit more tight when you are more aware of your finances, but at the same time, I think it could also help you enjoy life a bit more, right? Because if, because normally if 
you're just like spending money freely and have no like care for your financial goals, you're, yes, you're spending money freely, but oftentimes you probably feel a sense of anxiety. You're like, oh my God, like, should I have yeah. gone out to have this $100 steakhouse? Or maybe I shouldn't have gone on that $10,000 vacation, right? There's always this constant form of anxiety in the back of your mind that's like, uh, am I going to be okay? But then when you actually know where your money is going, and yes, things are a little bit more tight because it is going to the right places, then you can spend money without feeling guilt. If you know that, okay, you're saving $1,000 every single month, and now you can go out to eat as much as you want with the money left over, you're like, yay, I can spend money because you know that you're going to still hit your financial goals in the future. Yeah, that's a really good point. It like en enables you. I always have trouble saying that word. It enables you <laughs> to uh, spend because you know that you've already like saved or you know paid yourself first or put money aside um, that you needed to do. So that's a really great point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of my favorite things is just like going on vacation with $2,000 that I saved up. And I'm like, yeah, no worries. Like I, I, I deserve this and it's not going to negatively impact my life at all. And it's something that I really want to go. Yeah, it's an awesome perspective. Okay, so Nelson, you had lots of amazing things that have happened to you or that you've worked on this year. So you worked on your second book, Life Literacy. So why don't you, I, I read the book and I, and I finished reading the book. So why don't you tell the listeners about what this book is about and what made you decide to co-write this book? Yeah, perfect. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you, uh, Michael, for supporting and reading the book and grabbing a copy. I really appreciate that. Um, life literacy. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Life literacy is, uh, I guess we'll start with why. Uh, we wrote the book. Um, so my two co-authors and I, um, Matt Young and Stan Peek, uh, we wrote the book to help the current and future generations um, achieve success in life. And what that means is uh, personal success, professional and financial success because we found that there was a gap in um, effectively what you learn in school versus what happens in real life. So to use a, life, a real life example of that is, you know, when you go to school, you, when you go to accounting school, like I did, um, you're taught all these things about personal or about finance. And then when you go into real life and you try to tie that into personal finance, you realize that what you were taught in school isn't really what happens in real life. So we wanted to fill that void and help um, the current and future generations uh, succeed in life and, you know, fill any gaps that they may have that they're trying to figure out in life. Right. So what are some of the gaps that you identified in terms of like young professionals succeeding in life? Like what were some of the main gaps? Yeah. So professionally, um, one of the one of the main gaps that we kind of identified from running um, over 10 businesses in the last 20 years, you know, we've gone through um, a couple sales and acquisitions of businesses, um, a few mergers. So we do have a lot of business experience going into this book. Um, and we realized that uh, a lot of young professionals seem to have this sense of uh, entitlement and expectation when they come into a workplace. And what that means is like, you know, every year um, we've found that our staff were and feeling entitled to, you know, a pay raise or um, a promotion or something like that when they really haven't done the work or they haven't shown the results of the work. Um, but they just felt like they were entitled to that because they showed up every day and clocked in from a nine to five. Um, so what we teach in life literacy from a professional literacy standpoint is 
you know, taking leadership of your work and of your actions and actually doing the work and producing the results outside, like within your nine to five, but also outside of that. So it could mean showing up early to run a team event or staying late to serve a client and remembering that your job is your job. And it's not just within the bounded hours of a nine to five, um, because your ultimate result is to produce results for the business. And once you kind of earn your keep, then at that point, um, you can ask for that raise or the promotion. But I think it's the mindset of I've worked here for one year, two year, five years, um, and I deserve all these things. And uh, we felt that that expectation needs to be addressed early on in a career. So somebody understands that um, without having that expectation mindset. Yeah, I really like that. It's almost like having an entrepreneurial mindset, but like it for your job. I, I, what is it called? Like a entrepreneur entrepreneur yes it's like an entrepreneur yeah so an entrepreneur is somebody who works inside a company but has an entrepreneurial mindset like they want to help the business um, grow but it's not like their own business if that makes sense yeah exactly like an entrepreneur they have to put in the work they have to do everything in order to get results because if no one does it then you know they're they're the entrepreneur (laughs) they're the owner of the business then the business is not going to get any results and the, what an entrepreneur has to do is that they have to think like an entrepreneur. They, can, they have to think about like, how can I provide value and how can I provide results for the company that I currently work with? And that, is, that kind of distinguishes between like the employees who just clock in, clock out of their nine to five job and the other employees who actually exceed and provide a lot of value for their business. What were some of the other gaps? So this was professional gap. What, how about like the financial literacy gaps? Yeah, so financial literacy wise, I think it's important that people understand. Um, we alluded a little bit to this earlier. It was like budgeting and understanding like, you know, by making X dollars per month, how am I um, splitting that money into different little pockets for my different goals? And how can I enable myself to spend $500 eating out this month without feeling guilty about it? So in life literacy, we teach people how to um, fix their money mindset. So how they think about money, uh, but also how to create a budget that allows them to live the life that they can afford within their means. One of my clients actually, uh, you know, it's funny because on our first coaching call, I asked him like, what is something you're very proud of in your financial life that you've achieved? And he said that he showed me like the keys to his like brand new Mercedes. And he said, this is like my most, you know, proud financial like achievement. I bought my dream car and it was like super ironic because this person had hired me to help with his like um, impulsive spending habits and his like paycheck to paycheck situation. Right. So I asked him like, how did you buy the car? He told me the whole thing, very similar to my story where he financed it. Um, It was a bad situation, but having that like financial literacy awareness helped him understand that, okay, maybe the timing right now isn't the best for me to have my dream car, but because I have the keys in my hand, I know that it's achievable one day and that if I want to get there, I might have to make a few sacrifices going forward. So um, he sold the car, fixed his like financial situation and, and budgeted with his money and everything like that. And now he's on track in the next year to go and purchase the car. So I think it's like helping people understand priorities and actually putting them into their day-to-day lives so they can actually achieve their goals without putting themselves in a bad situation. That's such an inspirational story. And 
I love how you use like your past experiences of, you know, all of the mistakes and, you know, experiences that you went through in order to help your clients. When it comes to saving and budgeting, there's a lot of like negative connotations about, about this. People are like, oh, I don't want to budget. I don't want to restrict or, you know, reduce my lifestyle. What would you say are some of the tips and tools that you use in order to help people look at budgeting and saving money differently? Yeah, I mean, the word budget is like one of the most feared words in, in the finance world, professional finance or like corporate finance or personal finance, right? And the way that I approach it is like, I, I use the term intentional spending plan instead of budget. It, I don't know, it's the same thing, but it seems to not trigger people the same way when they think about budgets. Um, but I guess my overall advice to people is if you need to, if you need to create a budget or an intentional spending plan, your lifestyle doesn't have to change, right? Like you can really filter out what you actually love spending your money on and only spend on those things. So a lot of like personal finance people out there, they'll say like, okay, we'll, we'll stop buying Starbucks coffee. But like, what if you really love Starbucks coffee? Then that's cool too, right? Like there's no right or wrong answer in what you can and can't spend your money on. But the general advice that I give to people is if you really love something, if you really love spending money on something, then put it in your intentional spending plan so you can go do that. So if you really like, for example, if you love Starbucks and you want to have a coffee every day, then maybe you need to put a hundred bucks aside every month to go have Starbucks. And that might mean that now you have a hundred dollars less to eat out and you have to home cook meals an extra two times a week because you want to buy Starbucks every day. Right. So it's all about like priorities and then filtering out what you actually love to spend on versus what you just kind of like to spend on that you can cut out of your, your spending habits. Yeah. I love that. And it's not about like telling people to, you can't spend money on this and you shouldn't spend money on, on whatever this is, but Instead, putting things into perspective, one of my clients, he was like eating out a lot, a lot of Uber Eats and was spending like a couple hundred dollars every single week on this. And when we put it into perspective on his like future plan of wanting to buy a condo in the future, then he realized that if he continued this way, then he wouldn't be able to buy the condo that he wanted. And naturally, by putting that into perspective, he decided to cut down a little bit on his Uber Eats and where he was able to purchase a condo. And it's just doing that perspective. Like if you tell someone to stop spending or stop getting Uber Eats, then they'll probably still do it because that's what they want to do. But by putting it into perspective, that helps them to convince themselves that, oh, I you know, want this house or want this condo more than weekly Uber Eats. Yeah, I have a friend too who's really into uh, tuning cars and he loves like buying parts for his car and like fixing them and doing all that kind of stuff. And he spends a lot of money on his cars. And one day we were talking about financial literacy, personal finance, and this, this topic came up. He was like, well, how do I budget so that I can, you know, do the things that I want to do, like go on, take my family on vacation, you know, upgrade from a townhouse to like a fully detached home, um, but still enjoy my lifestyle with these car parts and doing all this car modding and stuff. And when we actually broke it down, like he was able to put money aside for savings to uh, upgrade his home and go on vacation while buying the car parts and doing his hobbies and everything like that. So sometimes like budgeting is more of an organizational exercise and it's not like a cut down your lifestyle exercise um, because by doing that, he actually felt more confident that he was like, okay, well, I can effectively spend, you know, 500 bucks a month on car parts because 
I know that I've put this much money aside for savings. Um, so it's not always a scary thing. So Nelson, not only did you write a book, Life Literacy, but you also presented a TED Talk about financial literacy. The TED Talk was called Financial Literacy and the Social Media Generation. So tell us about why you decided to talk about this topic specifically and what did you talk about in this TED Talk? Um, so the TED Talk, I hope that everybody listening uh, gets a chance to watch the full video. It's on YouTube, um, but it's titled Financial Literacy and the Social Media Generation. And the talk is essentially about that. It's about financial literacy and, and the impact of uh, financial literacy on what I like to call the social media generation, which is a little bit of a combination of like millennials and Gen Zers, uh, basically anybody who's grown up with social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, TikTok, whatever it is, and how these platforms are influencing our decisions around money. So marketing is such an incredible tool because every day we get you know, 30,000 marketing impressions put on us from social media, uh, news, wherever you consume your content. And it's so important that we make the right financial choices um, if we want to actually achieve our financial goals. Amazing. I think that's such a like niche topic that a lot of people don't really talk about on like how this, you know, social media, which we're on like, you know, 80% of the day on how this like actually influences our lives. So what are, what do you think are some of the obstacles that young professionals face in terms of using social media and how it influences their financial decisions? Sure. Yeah. I'll touch on uh, two different audiences. So like young professionals is one, and let's just say um, any, anyone that lives in the social media generation. Um, so anybody who has access to social media, whether you're, young, you're a young professional or not, doesn't matter. Um, but if you're engaging on social media, you're probably going to be looking at like, you know, the latest trending video or the latest trending product or something. And you might, you might've heard the hashtag like TikTok made me buy it. Um, it's actually a real thing. Uh, I know it seems kind of funny, but there are people out there who's, you know, they proudly say like TikTok made me buy these things, like whatever their item is. And then if you critically think about it, like, do you actually need that thing? Or is that some sort of widget that you just bought because it looked cool on social media and you wanted to fit in? So I think it impacts everybody in the social media generation in that way. Um, for young professionals, it gets a little bit more tricky because um, traditionally speaking, you know, young professionals, I would say, you know, probably have a bit higher income than the normal household or whatever sort of metric you want to look at. But when you start seeing young professionals compare themselves with other young professionals and you go onto Instagram and you start seeing other people's highlight reels and you start thinking like, well, I want my life to be like that. I can afford the Mercedes or the BMW or the vacation, to, the luxurious vacation to Hawaii and Turks and Caicos, whatever it is, right? You want to compare yourself to your friends and you want to be like them. And I think that's where it gets really dangerous because social media has is twofold. It influences you to buy things that you might not need. And two, there's a huge comparison aspect because everybody's showing their highlight reels on social media. And it's inevitable that we want to keep up with that. Yeah, that's so funny that you say that, <laughs> especially after working with, you know, some coaches in the coaching world where they, they try to show that they are, you know, able to travel and like able to afford all of these things. And you look at their finances and it's like, they're struggling <laughs> like on the back end, they're struggling. And in the front end, they're like super happy. And 
it's kind of like a never ending cycle because their friends are also their friends that they compare themselves to are probably in the same situation. And yet their back end is also messy and their front end is also very happy. So it, it's yeah. like a never ending uh, situation. There's a big difference between going broke, trying to look rich and actually being rich. So to everybody listening out there, don't go broke trying to look rich. It's not worth it. So what are, what are some of the things that young professionals can do to like overcome this social media influence and to be, be able to make their own educated financial decisions for themselves? Yeah. First one is, um, yeah. First one is like live within your means, like stop spending it before you get it. Um, you know, ask yourself like, how fancy am I? You know, do I need to go out to, you know, five-star Michelin star restaurants every, uh, every weekend, or can I save that for like a special occasion and maybe learn how to cook some things on my own that are at that level of, um, cuisine or whatever you enjoy, right? Like there's, there's ways around it. Um, so I think it's really like living within your means is number one. And number two is, um, don't compare yourself to others because everybody in life is at a different stage of life at a different, um, point in their lives. So financially, personally, professionally, whatever it is. Um, and it gets really hard sometimes when you look on social media and you see, you know, somebody who's the same age as you or younger than you, and, you know, they're driving around a nice car and they're having, you know, fancy bags and watches and stuff. And you realize like, I wish I had that too. Right. So it's really making financial decisions that are best for you in, in your situation. Yeah. I love that. And to piggyback off that, it's also being very clear as to what your values are. I know a lot of people who are, who get influenced and they're like, Oh, I need a house to be an official adult. And I want to travel and I want to do this. And I want to like have like 10 dogs, but that might not even be part of their values. For example, if you want to be free and be able to travel, then maybe you might not want to buy a house like right away because then you'll be trapped in a mortgage. You, you have to work more in order to pay for that mortgage. So that might not even be aligned to your values. But the reason why a lot of people want a house or to, or want to have a big house is because of all of the other influences in their lives of what are people going to say? What are their parents going to say? And that is what influences their decision. But oftentimes they do buy the house and they're still not happy because it's not aligned to what they want and what their values are. Absolutely. I think um, you hit the nail on the head on that one is like being really aware of um, why you're making certain decisions. Like, is it for you or is it for other people? Mm -hmm. And if it's for other people, like don't make that decision. <laughs> Amazing. So Nelson, 2021 was a really great year, but what is in store for you for this year and moving forward? Yeah, I mean, 2021 was a great year, um, you know, published, became a, a professionally published author, um, did the TEDx talk, um, expanded my reach of my audience. Uh, this year, we're prepared for growth. Um, so I'm really trying to impact even more people leveraging the TED talk. Um, I'm working on potentially another book um, that will be fully financial literacy based. So I will be teaching um, people how to manage their money, how to invest, um, how to venture into real estate, right? So kind of the hot topics that um, millennials and people in the social media generation are looking into. So I'm going to be working on that this year. Um, and yeah, just trying to grow my audience, impact more people. Amazing. I'm so, so excited for you watching your growth in 
2021, you know, inspired me. I'm like, wow, like you wrote a book, like an, an official book and you like spoke at a, an official TED talk. So that is a very big inspiration for me as well. So thank you. Thank you as well for those kind words. Okay. So Nelson, what is one last piece of advice you would give to our listeners here? Yeah. The, if I could give one piece of advice, it would be that um, it's okay to fail, you know? And I think that failure has such a negative connotation to it. Like when we're growing up, our parents teach us like, don't fail. You know, it's bad to fail on the test. It's bad to, um, you know, fail on whatever task you're doing. But as you get older, I think you start to realize that failure is where growth and learning happens. So as an entrepreneur myself, like uh, maybe I'll tell you guys a story about life literacy and, you know, pitching the book idea to our publishers. Um, we actually pitched about 48 publishers and all of them said no. And that to me was a huge failure because it just seemed like such a discouraging, disheartening um, moment in my life where we had put in so much time, effort and energy and it just wasn't working. Um, but sometimes when you're going at something, you're one step away from achieving success. So on the 49th publisher that we pitched, we actually got a book deal. So um, failure is actually okay. Failure is where you learn. Failure is where you grow. And if you don't fail, then you're not trying hard enough to um, get to where you're trying to get to. I love that. That was very inspirational. And I think a lot of people can even get discouraged when they see people with a lot of success, when they see people like making six figures in like, you know, two years or being a published author and best-selling author, they're like, oh my gosh, I will never be able to achieve that. But then what they don't see is that all of the mistakes and all of the failures that they had to go through in order to get to where they are. And at the end of the day, it comes to how fast can you fail and how fast can you get back up? And that is what differentiates between people who make no progress and the people who make a lot of progress. Yeah. And I'll tell tell you all right now that like, I'm not any different from you really. Like I, I'm just a normal person. You know, I grew up playing sports. I really enjoyed that. I like working out. I love dogs. Like it's, I'm just a normal person and I'm not anything special. Right. So if you really want something in your life, you have to go after it. You have to chase it. You have to be prepared to fail. You have to be prepared for the hard work. Um, and if you want it bad enough, you will get it. Amazing. It's good to know that you are a normal human. <laughs> Sometimes hard to believe, but I am a normal person. Yes. <laughs> Okay, amazing. So Nelson, if people want to learn more about you, they want to maybe get the book that you wrote or watch your TED Talk, where can people learn more about you? Yeah, the best place to find me is on social media. <laughs> um, so on Instagram, on uh, Twitter, and on LinkedIn, um, you can find me there. Um, or you can go to my website, which is just nelsonso.com. Um, and there's links to the book, there's links to the TED Talk, um, everything's on there. So if you guys connect with me on connect with me on Instagram, I would love to stay in touch um, and hear about your journey and, and how I could possibly help you out. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Nelson. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Mastery Over Money podcast. If you found any value with this episode, share this episode with a friend who needs to hear this message. Also, if you want to share your appreciation for this podcast, feel free to give it a review on Apple Podcasts as this helps me reach and help more young professionals such as yourself. That's it for today and I'll chat with you next week.